welcome back to The Witching Hour. I am Perry, this is Haley, and you've probably already noticed that we're here in audio form and not video right now. So I felt like we should start with an update. Yes, you will now listen to our gorgeous voices instead of seeing our gorgeous faces. So the plan going forward is you will continue to get Witching Hour on a weekly basis in audio form, unless we have a special guest on the show for a new release, in which case you can find us on the Collider Interviews channel, just as we were before with our, our pretty and probably tired Friday faces <laughs> on. Uh, yeah. And... Of course, on those weeks, there will also still be the audio format. And if you always listen to audio, ignore this. You're fine. No change whatsoever. So there you go. That is uh, the update on the status of the show. And probably the the occasional little live on, on Perry's channel, because that was super duper fun. I am down for that anytime your heart desires. You just shoot me a Slack or a text, and we are going to make that happen. <laughs> Awesome. So the plan for today's episode is we've got a news story that we want to highlight. We also might highlight some South by Southwest features that are worth keeping an eye on. And then we're going to go pretty heavy into Zack Snyder's Justice League because we both watched it and we got a lot to say about it. I was trying to like think of some horror adjacent excuse. I mean, it is very apocalypse heavy. But I honestly just want to talk about it. That's my excuse. I want to talk about this movie with you. There is also blood. It's a violent film, you it could is. say. <laughs> I, th- I think it works. I think we can we can make it work here. First, though, do do we want to start with uh, Natalie Erica James? Hell yeah, always. All right. Of course, I'm pulling up the story as we speak on Collider.com. So as you guys well know from our episode of the show on Relic, we are big fans of Natalie Erica James, and she has scored a brand new project. So she apparently is teaming up with John Krasinski to tackle a new big project called Apartment 7A, and it's going to be done for Paramount players. The report came from Deadline. They're saying that the film's plot is still in the works, but it falls under the genre of psychological thriller. James is co-writing the feature. And if it is anything like the, that's just a little thought on that. (laughs) Just getting all the information out there. Oh, there's a nice little witching hour quote in there. Ooh, look at us. Yeah. I'm feeling good about this article. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is, uh, that's what we've got here. I'm so excited that uh studio picked her up Mm -hmm. i'm like annoyed to theoretically have to wait longer for drum wave which is that yeah her man midsummer-ish island movie she told us about and i want to see it so bad because it sounds like it'll really fuck me up well who knows maybe that's something that she can get done while the development process on this bigger project is underway yeah, maybe it's not. I the vibe I was getting is that this would probably go first. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just one of those things. I don't want it to become like a Robert Eggers Nosferatu situation. Oh yeah, yeah. So, uh, I want to see that movie very badly, but obviously, I'm so excited to see her pick up a big project like this. Yeah, I'm. I'm happy to see her get the widest audience possible. I was yeah. thinking about that too. Do you mind if we just transition into South by Southwest stuff so I can continue yeah, on that, that topic? So one of my favorite South by Southwest movies I saw was Mickey Keating's latest off season. And I've seen, I've seen his filmography. I, I either love them or I think they're okay. There's, there's some that haven't really worked for me, but no matter where his features fall on that, that scale you can always feel his his passion and excitement for the story that he's telling and the piece that he's creating just like radiating off through the screen and just having this infectious vibe on me and that's part of the reason why whether I love a movie that he makes or not I'm still happy that I saw it if that makes much sense but anyway off season falls in the the like it a lot department but I bring him up in uh, connection with Natalie Erica James because 
he's one of those ones that, yeah, he keeps churning out feature film after feature film, but he's yet to make a feature film that is on a bigger level in order to get him the widest possible audience for his work. And I'm just, I'm waiting for that day to come for him. That's a, I mean, he makes a lot of movies. I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised, you know, I, I wouldn't say his films are, you know, wide release, theatrical friendly. They definitely are geared towards, I would say, a more niche audience, except I think Carnage Park has the widest appeal of the bunch. And Off Season, I think, has a foot in that world, too. Just in case anybody does not know what the movie is about, stars Jocelyn Donahue as a woman who has to go to a, a beach town in order to take care of something. And while she's there, she comes to realize that Something sinister is going on. And if she doesn't get out of the town before the bridge goes up for the season, she'll be trapped there. Hmm. And it's uh, mighty atmospheric. And it's just like, it's plain old creepy. I mean, have you ever thought about something like that when you go into a town that's isolated in that sense? <laughs> it's a very interesting way that the the whole thing is presented with his choice to kind of show that beach town in a more uh, more bustling format. And then you kind of cut to what it is when there aren't tourists there. And just that whole environment is real fascinating to me. And if you've ever seen any of Jocelyn Donahue's work, you know that she can sell so much with very little. It's not a very dialogue or uh, exposition heavy film. It kind of relies mostly on her reactions and and one very well-delivered monologue in particular, but this is also more exceptional work from her as well. Awesome. I mean, I am certain that it works in the film just the way that Santa Cruz becomes scary in us. Mm -hmm. But my initial reaction is like, sounds great. Real estate's really expensive at beach towns. Like, trap me in one. I grew up in beach towns. They're lovely. I'm sure it's not. I'm sure it's creepy. Yeah. Yeah. I understand where the thought comes from, but see this movie. And I think you would at least exclude that town from this, unless you're a real town that they shot the film in, because that town looks damn beautiful. I'm sure it is. Yeah. That's a very real world thought to an obviously fantastical premise. Like, shit, is that how you get a beach house in 2021? You just get stuck in a creepy town? All right. But yeah, that's a that's a South by title worth keeping an eye out for. Nice. The other one I would keep an eye out for is The Spine of Night, which admittedly that that type of I don't even want to say that type of content isn't for me. There's there's something about the the story and the grotesqueness of it all that I don't usually gravitate towards, but I feel like I was just so blown away by getting something so extreme that we don't often see that it's one of those kinds of movies that I wish I could have seen it in a packed house, you know, at a, a midnight screening and everyone have just been like, like, holy shit, whoa, like what's happening now together? I mean, you see, you see like animated blood guts and like detailed intestines and like people being ripped in half. Wow. It's uh, it's something else. It's a, it's a fantasy type story and it takes place, uh, over the course of, you know, ages and ages. So it's got that that epic kind of feel and it's told in an anthology type format. And I think that story-wise, that's what was losing me a little bit here and there because you'd become attached to one character and then you'd kind of be ripped out and uh, you'd have to get used to another set of characters. But I understand the purpose behind telling the story that way, showing how, uh, one type of evil can radiate through generations and the problematic nature of that happening. But just overall, even though I wouldn't say it's a home run, the rotoscope animation is, it is wow worthy. And just the, the experience of watching something like this in general feels like a one of a kind thing nowadays. You don't really have many animation studios <laughs> taking risks along the lines of this movie. So I am very grateful I got to watch it and I'll probably put it on again. A hundred percent, even if it's not amazing, I would want to watch that based on premise alone. I think if that's how anybody out there is feeling, that is more than enough to uh, push play on the spine of night when it comes out. Very cool. I had not really heard of that one. Now I'm very interested. The other one I saw, you know, this one, Haley, it's witch hunt. Ah, yes. Interesting journey with this movie. 
<laughs> um, this one is L. Callahan's second feature film as director. As many of you know, because I don't stop talking about it, she directed Headcount for her first feature, and I absolutely fell hard for that movie. This one sounded like it had all the promise in the world to have the same exact effect on me. And it, it didn't quite get there. It is... It's a curious way to get at certain themes and ideas that she's trying to discuss. The idea of the movie is that it takes place in a modern America where witches are real, but witchcraft is illegal. And, you know, it just taps into some very real world issues that, I don't know, it did, like it, I'm, try, I'm trying to think of the right way to get at it without completely like obliterating some of the good things that the, the movie does. But I guess it just doesn't feel as aware of the real world, um, of, of the way that the real world uh, elements of the movie are playing out, if you know what I mean, in comparison to what she's trying to say with her, with her fictional story. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It it didn't quite work for me. The characters themselves, I, I didn't form that same attachment to them either that I did with the characters in Headcount. But I, I also think her goals and her ambitions and her ability behind the lens, it's all there. And it continues to show promise for her. But there there's definitely a disconnect between real world concerns and what she's trying to achieve here through a fictional narrative. And it, it, it does feel like there's, there's certain blind spots there that could be problematic to some. That's very interesting. Yeah. I feel like there's a very inarticulate way to get at the movie's issues, but I'm trying to like do so without calling out specific things and spoil it for people. But I'm sure there's many out there discussing this movie online that you could probably uh, get more details if you just do a quick Google. Very interesting. I don't know. I like wasn't straight up didn't care about South by because I'm so tired. We all are like it's nothing's real anymore. Um, and now all of a sudden I'm like sad that I didn't pursue a badge at all because I want to see all these movies, even the ones you didn't love. I just I just like movies, guys. <laughs> <laughs> that was like the most wholesome response to my rambling I could have imagined just now. Seriously, I'm like, what was I thinking? Why didn't I even try at all to get a badge? I could have seen some films. I mean, I got a feeling you'll be able to see a couple of these. I feel like at least one of them was already picked up. It might have been The Spine of Night. If I'm, if I remember news correctly, which I kind of, yeah. Um, nice. Back in February, there's a variety headline that says, Yellow Veil Pictures, who of course is credited on the images I just used on the website, lands global, outlands global sales rights for uh, the Spine of Night. Nice, love Yellow Veil. That totally lines up with the type of interesting yeah. content they're always pursuing. Yeah, and uh, you know, I mean, really, Witch Hunt seems like an easy sale to me too. I'm just gonna Google that real quick to make sure it didn't already happen. Um, but. <laughs> With uh, with the ensemble that she put together, an ensemble that is uh, filled with some mighty popular people right now, and and just given the fact that it's a movie about witchcraft, yeah, I mean that seems like that seems like an easy easy sale. Which is so hot right now. Yeah, really. Well, the the funny thing is, and we talked about it in uh, in my interview with with Elle and the cast is uh, the two stars of the movie are Abigail Cowan and uh, Gideon Adlin, and. Gideon was in The Craft, Abigail was in Sabrina, so they both know a thing or two about telling stories about uh, witches. <laughs> it's, uh, I haven't, maybe I'm wrong, I'm trying, oh, I am wrong, because The Witch, I was going to say, I haven't, like, been blown away by any of the recent witchcraft stuff, but The Witch obviously rules, and Suspiria rules, so I'm yes. full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> In conclusion, um, I didn't see anything about distribution on Witch Hunt after a quick Google, if anyone's wondering. Okay. Stay tuned on that one. I'm sure it'll, like you said, I'm sure it'll get picked up. It's super popular, trendy topic, and those are recognizable stars. And I always enjoy getting an ad one. Always. Yes. She's she's real good. Yeah. She's real good. I, I just, I think she's going to just blow up and be a huge star. It's almost inevitable. I mean, have you, did you ever watch The Mustang? 
Yes. Oh, I forgot that existed. Yes, she's so good. She's real good in that. And it's one of those films where, you know, she's got to like, not only does she have to make a big impression with minimal screen time, but it's the kind of role that also needs to reverberate throughout the rest of the movie in order for Matthias Schoonart's character to have the arc that he has to have. And she really just makes the most with every minute she has in that. I was thinking, did you ever watch the show The Society on Netflix? I'm aware of it. I think I watched okay. the first episode and then never watched it again. Or maybe that was the order. I can't even remember anymore. It's fine. Like, it's fine. You've seen that show before. Mm -hmm. Teens to their own devices. We live in a society. Um, but she plays like sort of a side supporting character. And whenever I think of that show, I always remember her first. Like, she's just a attention grabbing actress. Mm -hmm. I, I definitely agree. You, you should watch the, uh, it, like one little section of that witch hunt interview because she talks about, you know, the art of real world witchcraft in a way that I think you would just really appreciate. Excellent. Excellent. Um, I mean, if I want to plug anything else that's non-genre, the fallout is excellent. It's feature directorial debut from Megan Park that explores uh, gun violence in school. It's not an easy watch by any means, but spe speaking of uh, young talent who is going to go on to do huge things, I am 100% convinced that Jenna Ortega is going to be the next big thing and has the talent necessary to go on and, you know, get an Oscar if that's what she wants in her career, because she is something that, that that is up there as one of the best performances I've seen in 2021 wow uh that's awesome I just saw her in yesterday and she was very charming <laughs> but I'm not having that reaction so I will look forward to seeing that side of her obviously she was great in you but yes uh. yes yes and hopefully she'll be great in Scream also I have high hopes yeah. and Ty West next movie oh yes you a busy one busy yeah and she should be as Absolutely. All right. Um, yesterday was very silly and I had fun with it. I don't know why I even brought it up, but everybody's like massively shitting on this fun, feel good, harmless movie. And I don't understand. I am a little surprised that you watched it at all. Oh, well, you know, I kind of have to watch all the new streaming stuff for work. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. Makes sense. I mean, I don't watch everything till the end, but <laughs> I did. If it's terrible, I'm turning it off. And I did not turn to yesterday off. I enjoyed the pleasant and harmless silliness. Maybe I will save yesterday for when I'm having a bad day and need a little mood booster. That's the ticket. Or if you're like, I would like to stare at a beautiful man for two hours because Edgar Ramirez. Ramirez? Rodriguez? Yeah. Why am I brain lapsing? He's one of the most beautiful human beings I've ever seen in my life. I feel like he also is someone who usually delivers big, or at least in a lot of movies I've seen him in, and doesn't quite get the credit for it. Yeah. The, the, one, the one I think I'm thinking of, um, I always say the wrong title when I want to talk about this movie, and it's so frustrating because there were multiple, uh, there were multiple boxing movies that came out that year. Let me just look up the, the right thing before I say something dumb. Ooh, yeah. yeah. So every time I want to talk about this movie, I always say bleed for this, which is the Miles Teller movie. But Edgar Ramirez starred in uh, Hands of Stone and he's great. And that movie felt like it got like totally overlooked. I forgot both of those existed. They came, they came out like, I think, within weeks of each other. Wow. This is this is good schmodown <laughs> yet another thing that i never thought you were going to bring up in this witching hour episode <laughs> we're on a wild ride today folks That's we're talking when you take the video out of the equation i don't know why <laughs> i'm laying in bed and you guys don't even know it well you it, do now well now you do and now yeah. i can tell them you're laying in bed with cat ears on also and a cat and very and the vibe guys i've got a vibe and it's good i'll tell everyone i'm wearing a really cool one night miami t-shirt that i really you like. are excellent it's also very soft i appreciate this mailer um all right not to get too off track here do we want to just jump into the the meat of the episode now let's do it let's yeah. talk about this insane wonderful thing yeah i am mighty pumped to talk Zack snyder's justice league 
I already blabbed about it on my personal channel, so I'll give it to you first, mm -hmm. Haley. Where where do you stand on all this? How are you feeling about uh, the release strategy, the quality of the content? Go for it. I, I, God, what a big question. Um, there were like four questions in that one question. Yeah. There. <laughs> I took a journey with this movie, man. Like I had a whole, I don't even know how to explain, like, I just went from being like, yeah, okay, Snyder's Snydering. Sometimes it worked for me, sometimes it doesn't, to like completely having the most tremendous empathy for how he was treated by Warner Brothers. And like, it's good. Why would you ever do what they did when you have this as your starting point? Um, and and I don't, it's like all the things that bothered me about the previous two movies, I see pay off here. And it, like all those little side things that you're like, why is that even in Batman v Superman? Oh, I get it now because he actually was building the universe they wanted him to. And they stopped him at every time that he tried to do it. I, I'm just like, it was such... And it helps that it's four hours because you can really take an emotional journey in four hours. <laughs> yeah. But I, I just, I, I am so floored by how it not only like, I admit, I am surprised that I like it as much as I do. I didn't expect that because I really didn't like Batman v Superman. Uh, so I figured another really long dour superhero movie probably wasn't for me. I really like it. But mostly I'm just like completely so empathetic to what that studio put him through. Yeah, um, I would say like, I'm in the middle on Batman v Superman. I, I see the flaws, but I, it's like one of those situations where, and you know, I guess in a sense, this gives franchises and, and big name properties an advantage, but there's certain, there's certain things where I just can't help happy watching certain characters on screen. And I feel like that that kicked in for me a good deal in, in Batman versus Superman. And also, I mean, in general, I kind of do like Snyder's visual style. Oh, it's beautiful. Like across across the board. So yeah. I feel like when you pair that with these characters, it was inevitable that I was going to like that movie enough. But anyway, with with Justice League, I would say the only reason why I'm surprised I loved it so much is because to be completely honest, I was just like, beaten down by uh the conversation and some of the negativity that that yeah. came from it and you know well I'll, I'll fully admit my predictions were wrong i'm absolutely happy to say that i predicted warner brothers would never release his cut of the movie they did and i'm wrong on that and i'll admit that but i also don't think me making a prediction about the end result of a movie and a potential release makes me a hater, which I'm most certainly not, especially oh, when it comes did to- Did you not see a global pandemic coming, Perry, that changed everything and convinced Warner Brothers to show their whole well, ass? You know what I find really surprising on the Warner Brothers side is, on the one hand, I understand why they would want to release Zack Snyder's Justice League to beef up the uh, subscription base of HBO Max. Smart business move, huge draw right there. But the release of this cut makes them look like a big old bunch of idiots to be. They showed their whole ass. I can't believe they did it. Like, they looked so dumb. I, I was... That, that was probably one of my biggest takeaways. I was just absolutely baffled by any possible thought that they had at the time that the movie needed saving in any sense. Or like the one thing I do understand is, yes, you can't release a four hour cut of a movie on the big screen and not see the financial repercussions of something like that. Two and a half hours? Yeah, that's fair. And also, I think there's a real damn good two and a half hour cut in this uh, in this chunk of footage. I'm glad they gave us the four hour cut because at this point, I wanted to see everything he wanted to do in the context of, I'm doing such big gestures right now and realizing no one can see them, but I wanted to- I sat up. <laughs> We're in it. I wanted to see every ounce of what Zack Snyder wanted to do after all this time in this cut of the movie. So I am glad this one's four hours long, but 
what did they think they needed to do with it? Like, I don't understand. One of the very first things that I flat out didn't understand was that opening scene with with Batman and the Parademon. Why? Why? Well, I guess to establish it, because in the Whedon version, the Parademons hunt fear. So I guess that scene establishes that, that they're drawn to the fear. Um, I don't understand. What's completely, completely blows my mind is how do you have this movie and instead of saying, we're going to go ahead and cut that down to two hours and proceed as normal. Instead, they were like, we're going to spend a shit ton of money on reshoots, completely change the film, and paint Superman's face on. What? What? Like, how was that the choice? I I just, I can't. I like, I can't understand anymore. You know, at the, at the time, I was thinking maybe they just didn't get enough shot. There were too yeah. many, there were too many gaping holes and some narrative things that like one way or the other needed filling. So I was, I was thinking that maybe that's, that's why they had to take the Frankenstein approach to completing this movie. But if Snyder really did film every single thing, except for the bit with the Joker, they had a movie. They had a movie and it was a good movie. I don't, do you know how much the reshoots costed? Because it can't have been cheaper than just finishing the film, right? Like as, as in the reshoots that Joss Whedon directed? Yes, yes. The, I, the, I think that was a pretty extensive price tag. Yeah, and like just painting Superman's face had to be crazy expensive. That must have been crazy expensive and also bathing the entire third act of the movie in that red must have been crazy expensive. What, and really the other thing that was just mind boggling to me is the whole uh, the whole sequence with that girl and her family running yeah. away. <laughs> yeah. Why? Why? Why was that, that there? That's classic weed. And I feel like to give you an emotional, like basic hook into this big epic action, totally unnecessary, but didn't work. Uh, no, <laughs> I just, and I also like in full honesty, whatever, it doesn't matter. Like a certain amount of people are going to be mad about anything I say about this movie, but like, I didn't hate the 2017 justice league. I had fun watching that. It was fine. I, it was messy and ugly and clearly a Franken film, but I totally had a fun time in the theater, which I said on the record many times. Yeah. I still am like, what the fuck happened? Because before I pushed play on Zack Snyder's cut, I did rewatch Justice League, which I had a very similar experience with. I I definitely pinpointed the, the elements of it that said, this is not a very well-made film, but it kind of goes back to what I was saying before, it, it makes me happy to see super ha superhero characters that I've grown to love so much over the years come together in a team-up movie, especially when they're played by folks like uh, Jason Momoa and Ben Affleck and Gal Gadot. I, like that part of it was just irresistible to me. And I thought they got away with it well enough in 2017. Now having seen Zack Snyder's Justice League, I can't feel the same way about that movie. There are, like, even if you don't want to talk about, like, big chunks of things that were added or taken away, the, the one sequence that I keep harping on that feels like one of the perfect examples to me is the way that they changed the sequence with the Amazons. There are so many moments of letting the material breathe, adding back a line of dialogue, reshaping the movie overall as far as how the parademons are introduced that completely ups the effectiveness and the quality of those things the the one line that i've become mighty obsessed with is when connie nielsen um uh has to uh say something and then the amazon say we have no fear yeah like that that so moment in your fear or something i don't i don't care what your complaints are about the runtime of a movie if you want it to be under two hours that is mere seconds of screen time that completely ups the intensity of the sequence and actually shows the amazons as 
these incredible strong warriors. And by doing that in that moment, you amplify the effects of your action. Why would you ever remove a beat like that? I it's like, I feel the same way. That scene really stands out to me is how much better it works. Can I, uh, one quick thing. The reason yeah. why I bring that scene up is because that, that scene was my favorite in the 2017 film. So to have such an intense reaction to the way it was changed now is showing me how night and day these two cuts are. We are on the exact same page. I actually loved that scene in the previous movie until I saw this version. Um, and it's something as simple as like, well, not simple. I'm sure it was a, an expensive effect, but the, the, the cage falling off the cliff, going yeah. into the water, it doesn't play for me in the 2017 version because you're like, well, that's a dumb trap. It clearly didn't work. You just bust right out of it. And in this version, it's like, yeah, that's the point. Like they thought it would work and it didn't. And that makes it scarier and more intense. Um, I don't, it's just all these small differences make such a huge impact. And I mean, they're not small. I've heard other people say like, it's the same movie, just longer. Couldn't disagree with that more. I think they're major differences. Um, uh, obviously cyborg, I mean, holy shit. So- oh. Uh, here I'll jump off something because obviously I'm watching the comment section on my Justice League review like a hawk right now not because I'm I'm worried about someone disagreeing with me in fact I invite that but I am worried about name calling not just directed at me but name calling that would make somebody else who wants to comment hesitant to do so so that's why I'm watching that but someone someone wrote something along the lines of because I had mentioned that Ray Fisher as Cyborg was one of my favorite things about the 2017 cut. He really stood out to me and they wrote to me, how could he stand out for you when he had so little material? That, that's when you know you have a special actor and role pairing. The fact that he had made that big of an impression on me, even with such limited material. And also, I just found, because we do get a fraction of the cyborg story and how he becomes who he becomes and the pressures that come with it. That was just really interesting, meaty material that I wanted to spend more time with. So that's how he made a big impression on me way back then. And now to see what he had shot and what was removed from that cut, I like, I'm like, crin like I, I'm cringing. My body is is getting very tense right now thinking about it because if I had worked that hard on so much material and had such strong emotional beats in a movie and then they were completely stripped from a theatrical cut, I would have been devastated. And again, Warner's so stupid because they turned this character from like basically a Dr. Manhattan style, all powerful, amazing superhero to a, like a robot guy. Like what? How is that good for you to make your franchise character less interesting? Especially when they had a cyborg standalone movie on the table. What Ray Fisher does in Zack Snyder's Justice League is a breakout performance. If yeah. that was in the original cut, there is no doubt in my mind that they would have gone through with the plan to give him his own movie. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I don't even, it's like genuinely jarring. And I don't know how much that was Joss Whedon versus the studio saying, we need this to be this long. And that's the less, the least known character and actor, cut it. Um, but what, what? And it also like the whole, I have always thought when watching 2017 Justice League, wait, boy, it feels like that dad's going to die and then nothing happens and it makes so much more sense now. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Just all like now after seeing this, all I could, all I could think of, not that I have rewatched 2017's Justice League, but I imagine all I'll be able to think about now when I watch it is how the entire movie was put together to to like suit one need and one need only and it was to make money at the box office and listen i am not dumb enough to think that that is not a top priority for everyone who works in this industry but i am a big believer that you can't prioritize box office and only box office 
and sacrifice the quality of the movie and the story. And I don't think I'll ever be able to have that same enjoyment watching the 2017 cut, being able to see all of those types of like what you just bring up with Ray Fisher there. The idea of, oh, we can cut the unknown actor and just, you know, lean more on the people who are more fit. Like, I'm not going to be able to unsee those things, whether those. And again, we're running into a situation where I have no clue what was discussed behind closed doors. But that's why I don't want to assume. That is still something that I'll be able to feel in that cut regardless. Oh, yes. I Well, and you're for the record extremely correct because how did justice league do at the box office awful awful you can't do that like you can't movies don't become box office hits because they're terrible it happens but that's not like people didn't fall in love with pirates of the caribbean because it was a shitty movie it's a great adventure film and that's why it was so popular and then spawned this massive franchise you know oh I'm blown away by the conversation that's happening right now and I'm I'm, I'm blown away by my enthusiasm because you also you also know how much I love the behind the scenes of it all and I just like I'm fascinated by the art and craft of, of making a movie and in particular and I've spoken about this before you know you can go you can this is for any filmmaker I'm not just referring to Justice League but you can go into a movie with the best intentions and then that movie is essentially rewritten in the development process. It's rewritten again when you're on set. It's rewritten again in post. And no matter what you intended on doing at the beginning, things can change over the course of time. And I'm just like, I'm fascinated by the seemingly little things that could change the quality of the content that you started with. And then when I go specifically to Zack Snyder's Justice League, being able to see how adding back a beat or two here, how changing the order of something, how changing the atmosphere, the tone, how that can significantly enhance the same material that you saw in that other cut. It, it's fascinating and it's so exciting to me because I do believe that everything that was changed here was changed for the better. Yeah, I, it is genuinely my, like the first thought I had the whole movie is this is fascinating that is the word that was in my mind the whole time it is such an insightful process and I'm eager to watch it again although like four hours is a big ask because so much of that first viewing was spent going well that's different that's different what that was different before Mm -hmm. that's better um so I want to see it again to like just (laughs) already know that yes it's very different and just watch the movie yeah I watched it one time through and then I kept uh like scrubbing to certain parts as refreshers. But, you know, that's the only downside to a four-hour cut is it makes you a little less inclined, not the right word, a little less able or available to rewatch it again. Yeah, I don't have a lot of spare four-hour chunks in my yeah. days. But the, the, the urge is there. I want to rewatch it. And I might have rewatched the Amazon sequence like 10 times. <laughs> so maybe if I didn't do that, I could have watched at least some of the movie over again. I never... I truly never expected us to have this conversation. And to be clear, I don't think it's perfect. I think some of it's really funny and doesn't work. But overall, it's such a better film. Yeah. Well, not even close. In in areas that it's not perfect, one of the things that I brought up in my review is the uh, is the Iris West scene, which is completely unnecessary in this cut. It's like if they were to release this theatrically and they're looking for ways to trim down the running time, that is easily something that could have come out. But I am watching Zack Snyder's Justice League on HBO Max. I am very happy that they left that scene there so I could see it in the context of his greater vision. Right. I mean, that's another like, Oh, it's so fascinating, that word again. But like all these things he was building for movies that never happened, fascinating. That's true, that's true. That's just there to set up the Flash movie. Uh, And that still is, I mean, in theory, actually going to happen now. Um, And I hope so. You know, I love the Muschietis. But um, like the the dads being recast, I guess, or because Billy Crudup dropped out yeah he had a scheduling conflict it's all fascinating like it's going to be very different than what was being set up obviously yeah and Uh, 
and and in in things that didn't work for me boy do i not like that epilogue i really that like um doesn't i it's 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 the jared leto of it i'll be honest i don't care for his joker i straight up don't and that's not a like an unpopular opinion a lot of people feel that way um i i like the idea of the world and what it adds in the sense of like, so we're not going to see his, you know, Snyderverse or whatever be fulfilled. So we get a little glimpse of that here. And I appreciate that. Also, somebody needs to tell Jared Leto no sometimes. Like it just has to have, somebody has to tell that man no at some point. The reach around wine, why, why? I'm not going to say that was my favorite part of the movie. Like it definitely felt like an, like an add on. But again, it was like, it was one of those things that, like at, at this point, just give me what Zack Snyder wanted to do. I needed that. Yeah. And I, I think for that reason alone, I needed that piece there. Yeah. You just should have told Jared Lowe no sometimes. <laughs> like that line was an improv and it doesn't need to be there. So what, what did you think of the the villain of it all this time around? Ooh, so funny. Probably the funniest part of the film. Again, a movie that I like a lot. Don't dox me just because I said the villain's funny. He forgot where Earth is. What? <laughs> He's already been there and he like lost it? Is that it? It's not explained, right? I think I need to go back and relook <laughs> at all of that dialogue. It's just like, I. it's accidentally and they get like their ass handed to him so bad by somebody that Wonder Woman already beat. So like right away, you're like, well, that's not very intimidating. Um, I don't know, the whole thing, the villains are funny to me. I can see why you said that. I hadn't really thought about that, but now going back, I might I might find a similar quality. I did, I did, impre- I did appreciate being able to get a little bit of a better sense this time around about what's, uh, what's driving Steppenwolf yes. and the pressures that he was under. And his motivation. Amazing. Yeah, amazing the difference it makes when your villain has a motivation. Oh, oh my God. It, it, that is another thing that's night and day in this cut. The only, the only bit that feels a little to me like kind of how we were describing the epilogue and the Iris West stuff, something that feels like it was meant to serve a sequel and doesn't really add to this movie except to complicate the villain agenda is, well, like, what well, I'm forgetting the term now. Uh, like the life equation thing, the anti-life equation. Anti-life equation. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not. I. I don't. I don't know what that means. I'll be honest. Like I. I didn't read the Justice League comics growing up, so that's just boogity boogity to me. Like I totally agree with you. It's there to service something that doesn't happen in this movie. But I believe that it's what causes Superman to become the big bad Superman. Gotcha. Okay. I de- I definitely didn't I didn't fully grasp that and that that's another thing that I feel like I need to to go back and rewatch with a you know like a closer ear to the dialogue to actually you know write the definition of what it is or at least for my head. I wish it, I had the tab available but I'm sure I closed. <laughs> it was it was also one of those things that felt like, you know, the story was zooming along and then it's like pause here, don't forget about the anti-life equation and then it yeah. came back to the momentum that it it had established before. So that that felt like it stuck out like a sore thumb in a sense. You're I I would have to say I agree with that completely. And like I did as funny as I think the villains are, like Darkseid comes across as really inept and uh, Steppenwolf just gets his ass handed so hard. Um, I like, I did care more a hundred percent. Like I had, I had empathy for Steppenwolf. That's new. I did too. <laughs> I did too. His dumb little face made me sad. He's not, he's not a good guy, but uh, he's been through a lot. And they were he wants to go home. Yeah, yeah, really. That's that is what it amounted to, though. Yeah. I, I, I don't. I'm, I'm a sucker. I'll have empathy for anyone, but yeah, I definitely like. And the, I don't know, like the redesign. People are all, all kinds of opinions about that. I, the first one wasn't great. Like, no. I'm not hurting by or hurt by this new steel look or 
it's cool i guess i don't know i I wouldn't say i felt strongly about liking it but i certainly didn't dislike it it just yeah like it kind of was what it was they ran with a they ran with a look for the character that i think uh like for that look it looked like the effects looked good yeah I like how they, you know, his little pieces move around. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Well, it, I mean, it does create a, a more dynamic uh, costume for the screen. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. People went real hard on that one. And I, I'm like, yeah, that looks better to me. Mm-hmm. Like, it's still not the most aesthetic villain I've ever seen in my life. But I find that to be an improvement. It did feel like there was more in the eyes to me this time around, but granted, I have not done a uh, side-by-side comparison, and it also might come from the fact that I felt like Steppenwolf actually had personality and soul here, whereas he didn't, so that might be why that's coming through, but there's a couple of moments where I feel like it's, uh, you know, like a close-up of him looking just off camera, and like you you could feel that it's like a living, breathing thing rather than, you know, thump the villain is there and he does his villainous thing and that's it. He swings this villain axe and boy, you better run. Uh, Yeah, another thing that worked for me that I've seen a lot of people dunking on is how he is dispatched. I admit, I was like, oh, hell yeah. Like, I thought that was a cool scene. Why are people dunking on it? I I guess because, you know, it ties back into that whole like Snyder approach to the universe which is like wow I really never needed to see the Justice League like brutally murder a guy oh oh, oh, I know what you're talking about now yeah I I had read a little bit about that um I think I understand both sides of it given the the nature of those characters and what they stand for and I think uh you know when you're a when you're an iconic superhero with a real wide audience it's you know I guess it could be a little upsetting to find that kind of behavior limiting as far as some of the younger moviegoers out there that could find inspiration in those characters. But this was an R-rated cut of the movie. And I think that this cut of the movie upped the intensity of Steppenwolf, et cetera, so much that it, like, it almost necessitated something like that. What did you, like, what else do they do? I don't know. (laughs) I don't understand sometimes when you're at war you kill someone I don't know also like I just feel I'm so beyond that conversation this is Snyder's vision he likes his superheroes murdery fine I've got a lot of movies where they're not murdery and also nobody gets all bent out of shape about how much killing the Avengers do like they're still really wholesome family-friendly superheroes and they murder so many people yeah in in a similar sense, I'm not going to tell you what I was just watching, but I was just watching something with like, you know, like massive citywide destruction. And even though I was enjoying the action, I kept thinking about like all the, all the people that were dying in those buildings and I couldn't stop thinking about it. And in fairness, like to Zack Snyder, and this is an old conversation, but whatever, like that was the point the destruction becomes the point in batman v superman like it wasn't done without thought exactly i'm a real i'm a real uh snyderverse gal i guess i'm 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 feeling it myself and i'm i'm feeling uh i'm feeling the disappointment over what what could have been and now seemingly can't be i mean i guess never say never in this industry but i don't know we would we would have been in such a different place if i think that if this is a huge success that warner brothers will totally like try to make it happen however the fact that Zack snyder has gone from interview to interview being like here's what the movies would have been telling everything makes me think he is done he said he's done but i never believe anything anyone says yeah uh, but the the act of telling every single detail of what he would have done in the future i'm like oh he's out yeah i mean it's a, it, it's feeling it's feeling that way to me and you know it, it's exciting to me that i'm in a place now where i want more of this but after everything he's been through i also want Zack Snyder to be able to like flex those uh directing muscles in a way that that he feels 
is best. And if that's not staying boxed into this particular franchise where he had, you know, maybe not the best experience, then let him go do other things. I just want him to do what he wants to do because I feel like one way or the other, whether we're talking about Snyder or any filmmaker out there, that's going to wind up making the better film in the end. Yeah. And if, if him not making superhero movies means I get more zombie movies, that's fine with me too. <laughs> I can't wait for that one. I can't, I cannot wait for Snyder to return to zombie storytelling. <laughs> It looks good. And I was, you know, I, I was already excited. We talked about it recently, but this just made me more excited, obviously. And I honestly, I think, I don't know if it was on here, but I kind of like, I had a very, very strong and angry reaction to the idea of a faithful King Arthur movie that's not real that can't exist there is no faithful it is a collection of myths over centuries yeah no such thing um but also I super want to see it now like that inherent concept is dumb and that shouldn't be ever said out loud by anyone who knows literature but also it probably will rule (laughs) (sighs) I brought the fight scenes they're really good and King Arthur uses swords all the time and I like sword fight scenes and I don't think they're done enough these days so there that's where I'm at on that I feel like when you bring up sword fight scenes all I can picture right now because I just published it before we started recording is Lucy Lawless was telling me that there was a period of time where she just kept swords in her trunk because she would have to practice nice (laughs) like I want a reason to just have practice swords in my trunk yeah that has powerful energy well I do have I do have a crossbow in my LA apartment that's also good it's a little baby crossbow that has no ammo, but I have the crossbow. Well, that's a start. You know, that's the hardest part. Really? I feel. I get it. Yeah, I guess you could put it that way. Do we want to hit on anything else Snyder Cut related? I'm sure I'll think of things I wish I'd said after of we're course. done because it is four hours long. Yeah. Um. What do I? What do I? Okay. I still think Aquaman is really funny. I love Aquaman. Uh, I love Aquaman the character. I still feel yeah. the same way about the movie in case anyone's like, oh, you changed your mind about that too? Like, no, and I've discussed that before. Right, 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 right. <laughs> I do love Aquaman the film. I also like the character. I think it's really funny that he comes out of the ocean in jeans. That's never not going to be funny <laughs> to me. That's awesome. It's so ridiculous. Um, I maintain, as I always have, Ben Affleck rules as Batman. I totally dig it. Oh, there's something we didn't talk about. Batman in this movie and Batman in that movie are two completely different characters. This movie lets him be a living, breathing human being with a personality. And the other cut completely strips him of that. I, I've i liked Ben Affleck in the role since BVS. But if you're looking, if you're looking to get a sense of what an actor can do with a particular role, I mean... There's no comparing the two versions of the film. That 2017 cut stripped him of all life. Made him a snark machine. Um, I'm pretty sure, like, Whedon has a tendency to put himself into one character every time. And the lines that he gave Batman sound like they were coming from him. Like the way he, I don't know. Uh, It really stood out to me, the, the moment where Aquaman says, the strongest man is strong as alone. And in the Whedon version, he goes, that's not, that's the opposite of the saying, which feels like to me, Whedon being like, boy, you're dumb. Uh, This is dumb. Uh, Like he's above the the material kind of, but I have to give tremendous credit to Ben Affleck Mm -hmm. because he made both versions work. Like he delivered that line. That's the opposite of the expression very well. Very true. It was required of him. That is very true. I loved where that that sequence was moved to in the film also. Mm-hmm. The con- where uh, Ben Affleck heads to the town. Mm-hmm. It's just like, I can't believe what restructuring a story can do to it too. Like they literally, like there's certain bits where they just like moved where it was and it completely changed the meaning. It's also, again, that word so fascinating to see. This is like, 
this never would have existed. This is giving a filmmaker like go crazy permission, you know, do whatever, uh, like to your heart's content. We don't have to edit it out. Like this is your version, babe, you do you. Um, so you get things like it or not. And I, I don't, I don't even know how to quantify how I feel about that woman sniffing Aquaman's shirt and singing. <laughs> I've ever seen. <laughs> like that would never be in a movie normally but it stayed in the cut because it's his cut you do you babe i yeah i mean it's 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 an extreme moment but look i mean they they had just spoken about what aquaman does for them when totally. boats can't get in or out and if someone is you know playing such a key part in keeping keeping you and your loved ones going i mean you might want to sniff their shirt i get it it's not not funny though. Like <laughs> oh, it's, no. it's a whole thing. Hi. Uh, like I said, I don't even have words to quantify how I feel about that moment. It's so above beyond liking or disliking. It's I stand back in awe of that moment. Conversation is making me wish I had nothing else to do for the rest of the day, so I could just jump right back into a rewatch now. I'm just so, so delighted. I have said for a long time, the best case scenario and the funniest, which is important, is that it was actually good. Yeah. Like, that's, that's amazing. I'm so thrilled that that's what happened. And I know not everyone likes it. And fair enough, it's four hours and a dour and it's extremely exactly probably like what people don't like about his take on superheroes. Fair enough. That's the nature of any release. And I wish we could all just embrace that and play, play nice. I mean, you can go back to, you know, you could compare the Snyder cut to, to Aquaman. You know, you might like both. You might like one, one over the other more so because you're drawn to a particular type of film. And it's like, it's fine. It's fine. Disagree and just be respectful about the way you disagree with others. <laughs> yeah, I wish... I really wish that Warner Brothers had made room for that kind of mentality at the start of this new like DCEU or whatever it's called now um, because at the time it was very much like this is our shared universe this is what it is which I think caused a really extreme reaction to Snyder's take on the material whereas now that you have like and we also do the you know we do Joker we do the Batman they're their own thing that's fine that to me provokes like such less intensity of why would you do that to these characters when you're getting multiple versions of them hmm. sorry for the pause I'm just like trying to compare <laughs> that compare that that take on uh the the amount of intensity that this one drew compared to you know like the most obvious comparisons are Star Wars and uh, Marvel and I feel like you know, I, I guess we have seen a similar thing with Star Wars in a, in a sense, except for the fact that it wasn't tied to a particular filmmaker where like you're 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 boxed into the Skywalker saga. And when you have no room to breathe beyond that, it'll create maybe it maybe it will create a more intense reaction to how those characters are treated versus where the Avengers have landed, where, you know, we do have our team up movies, but we got a lot going on in other places but then I have to backtrack again and say that the MCU, you know, built that foundation to be able to do that first. So it's not like you could just start with that luxury necessarily. So in conclusion, there's no clear answer on the matter. And I, I mean, mostly the MCU has not provoked such intense reactions, but anytime it does dare to like tweak your perception of a character you know for the comics people get pretty angry like say the mandarin that didn't go over well yeah yeah awesome. um big bus. so it's that's that's definitely like oh we've stumbled into a bigger conversation about like the sense of fandom ownership over material yeah but um i don't know i do think that it it when you take away the perspective of this is the only Batman you're going to get in movies right now and you don't like that Batman that mm -hmm. draws a stronger reaction yeah and while I will never condone hate being spewed over yeah. a fictional character 
I also do understand the intense attachment to certain franchise characters. But again, that doesn't necessarily excuse behavior like that. So. <laughs> no. no. Uh, I, I feel very strong attachment to many characters. I'm not sure I've ever yelled at anyone about them unless I was being paid to do so. <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to think about, you know, uh, like a franchise that I'm, through the roof passionate about where it, it deeply hurt me at least like I've definitely never lashed out at anyone because I don't like what you did with my movie but um I don't know Independence Day 2 <laughs> yeah I was I was pretty upset about that I guess I guess I really I mean using that as an example I really can't wrap my mind around getting that uh that upset to the point of running the risk of of being nasty to someone else over a movie because no. I, I was very angry I was very angry about it and I thought they made very silly story decisions in that but I, I didn't feel the need to you know angry tweet at Roland Emmerich being you ruined my childhood favorite movie and also if someone liked it you didn't like attack them like, I didn't attack I didn't attack them but I would I probably wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily I'm trying to think of a way to to explain that without feeling because I mean it is a it, it's a difficult thing when you're having a conversation like that and somebody else love love loves something that you strongly dislike because like I'll never do anything to take away from that other person's love of the movie but I'm also not going to go back on why I strongly dislike it and think that yeah, that movie doesn't necessarily have a place in that franchise that's not the same thing as going online and verbally as like attacking. oh no that's that's very true <laughs> Yeah. There's a pretty big divide there. There's a difference between like, I stand by my opinion and fuck you because you feel that way. And all right. That's a, yeah. that's a pretty uh, appropriate assessment there. I guess I just, I was looking, I knew that it would work. I was looking at my bookshelf because most of the things I truly love came from what I read when I was young. Um, and it's the perfect example. It's fucking Game of Thrones mm. and how they, they, blew it and ruined so many characters I cared about so deeply and uh yeah 100% never abused anybody over it will I be snarky about it absolutely did I laugh at a lot of things on reddit 100% that's another thing the the difference between between being nasty and being snarky about something too right like I feel like that the line there often gets gets blurred and, and excuses are made for one versus the other and I don't, you know, I don't go around on Twitter yelling at people who are like, I actually thought the last season was good. Okay. I'm happy for you. Yeah. That's always what I write in the comments section whenever I I don't like a movie and give it a negative review, but somebody else likes it because I, and like, I stand by it. I don't just say it to say it. It's like, if I really don't like something and you do, like, freaking good for you because I go in every I go into every single movie wanting to like it and if you're able to like something that didn't really work for me I'm genuinely happy for you I wish they I wish I liked everything I really do as do I as do I I will say in terms of things that I did not like um I just recently before Zack Snyder's Justice League watched the what's it called the ultimate cut of bvs yes yeah much better significantly better i mean that's that's a trend with him his his director's cuts are good watchman's good like i still like the theatrical cut of watchman too but i like his director's cut yeah yeah that was shocking to me and i don't think i knew that i was watching the ultimate cut at first Mm -hmm. um I think that's all they have on HBO Max at the moment. It's possible. Anyway, I was like, wow, this is so much better than I remembered. And then I realized why. Yeah. All right. Um, well, yeah. So what a fun, what a fun, positive episode. I like it. Like, it makes me a little sad we don't have video because I feel like the two of us were just like big balls of animation today. And like, you are, you are fucking glowing right now. Let me tell you that. I like liking things. Hi. All right. Before we send everyone on their way, 
Haley, what would you like to plug this week? Boy, do I have any plugs this week? I don't know. Go, go spend four hours of your life watching Zack Snyder's Justice League and then let's have a reasonable conversation about it. I, I want to talk about this movie with like everyone. <laughs> I've texted everyone like, have you seen it yet? Have you watched it? Yeah. Um, so that's what I'm going to plug. Go have a fun time at the movies and then go have a fun time talking about it. Don't be mean. That's oh, all. Plug that niceness plug. and liking things. I like that plug. I'll second that, but I'll also plug a piece of work that, that I did. And it happens to pertain to Zack Snyder's Justice League because this week's Ladies Night guest is Connie Nielsen. And I love her so much. She's so cool. She's so awesome. cool. She told such good stories. And I don't know. It just... Like, it always gets me when someone speaks from the heart and in their interview answers, you could feel how passionate they are about the work that they do. And I very much felt that from her. So check that out on the Collider Extras YouTube channel. Ooh, and she told you some really interesting stories, too. She did. I got quite a few of them from her. She was lovely, though. Whatever. Not the point, but smoking and just (laughs) always the yeah always but especially Hippolyta man she works for me seriously yet another reason to make that sequence even longer absolutely (laughs) all right guys we are out of here that's it you have officially survived the witching hour 